words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. What great stories of call. So I uh, think about my own stories of call. In many ways I struggle to see much of a parallel, really. They seem so dramatic and instantaneous. When I was at university a long time ago, uh, I was a pretty typical student, probably partied too much, probably didn't do enough work, drank too much, didn't pray very much. Uh, But I did. Uh, One of my hanging out places was the Anglican Centre. So at Victoria University, there's a a building uh, down the bottom of Kelvin Parade. Uh, I think it was the top of Kelvin Parade when I was there. Uh, where the offices for the uh, Anglican chaplain and the ecumenical chaplain were. There was a chapel with services occasionally. Well, they were probably regularly, but we went occasionally. And uh, and it was one of the places uh, I would hang out and have lunch. Uh, I had a group of friends there. And we would talk about God and the world and where the next party was going to be, all the important things. Uh, but in the course of those conversations uh, towards uh, my fourth year at university, um, because I'd had a couple of degree changes in the process of being there. Um, A couple of the guys, a couple of the people said, had I ever thought about ordination? Well, it was true, in all truth, I'd never thought about ordination, because I'd never thought of myself as a very likely ordination candidate. I didn't seem to have any of the proper credentials, like being uber-spiritual and praying and all those kind of things. I was just a pretty typical university student. Uh, So I ignored it, really, until the chaplain called me to his office one day and then said, had I thought about ordination. So I had to take it seriously, and I did take it seriously. I stopped going to church. I thought that would knock that one on the head. So I have a lot of sympathy for Isaiah and his response today when... He is caught up in this vision, and it's not the, I'm not sure how historically those visions are supposed to work, but if you read the first five chapters, there's a lot of visions there uh, which aren't particularly friendly towards the people of Israel. And um, he has this vision where he is alone in the celestial temple in the presence of God. And when one is in the presence of God, one knows all of one's faults and all of one's failings. Uh, but also you might note that his, his sense of sinfulness is, is communal. He is one of the people who are sinful. And if you read the first five chapters, he has had visions which have named exactly all the faults of the people of God and the consequences of that. And so he says... Actually, one of, my, one of the comment, commentaries that I listened to, a podcast about them, says, well, he clearly has a potty mouth. He knows more square words, words than anyone else. And this is pre-soap day. So instead of getting his mouth washed out with soap, he gets washed out with hot coals. Here he is, Isaiah and the hot coal. And then, and then he hears the divine word that says, Who shall we send? And in the Bible translations that we have, we have it where Isaiah responds, Here I am, send me! With an exclamation mark. The trouble is, in Hebrew, there is no exclamation mark. And that exclamation mark has been 
kind of helpfully put there by the translators who feel like we should kind of get that dramatic, send me. But a number of the commentators question whether Isaiah was that enthusiastic, really. Like, he's there on his own. And they wonder whether a more accurate translation might be, here I am, send send me. I'd like you to send the other guy. But there isn't another guy, so... No, we're just still on Isaiah. Send me. A lot more hesitant. A lot more, I'm not sure about this. And in fact, if you then read the job description, he's got every right to be hesitant. Because God then tells him what the job description is, which is basically to tell the people of Israel what's going to happen to them. To which Isaiah responds, How long do I have to do this for? And God's response is, until the land is empty. Until 90% of the people have gone into exile. Then, then you can give a message of hope. It's a really hard job description. And no one in their right mind is going to go, send me. They're much more likely to be, um, yeah. Sure, somebody else might be better at this. And Isaiah's not the only one who's hesitant about the job description they're being offered to do. Last week we had Jeremiah, and his response was, I'm too young. Choose somebody else. Amos' response is, uh, I'm a farmer. I know about farming. I'm not a public speaker. I don't know about any of this stuff. Can you just find somebody else who's got a better CV for doing this job? And I'll just keep farming. Thank you very much. Moses, the great prophet, his response was, yeah, I never did the public speaking courses when I was at school. I haven't done Toastmasters. I, I'm not your man. Uh, here I am. Pick my brother. He's good at speaking. He'd be way better. And then we have Jonah, the great response. His was, I don't even like you. Like, you want me to go to the Babylonians? Nah, not happening. I'm not going to go and preach how you're all merciful and compassionate and such. I think you should just smite them. They're our enemies. They've been mean and nasty to us. No, it's not happening. I'm out. I'm going to catch a whale. See you later. And he heads off in the other direction. Kind of, you know, I stopped going to church. He went the other direction. Didn't work for Jonah, didn't work for me. Even Peter. So now we can have Peter. Even Peter. So on the face of it, this is a very dramatic, cold story, isn't it? Peter is, and his friends have been out fishing all night. They're in, they've caught nothing. They're knackered. They've got no fish, no income. And along comes this guy and jumps in the boat and says, just push out into the shallow water so I can teach the crowd. And why didn't Peter just go, get out of here, get out of my boat, who are you? I've got work to do, I'm going to bed. You go and find somebody else's boat, thank you very much. Well, the reason is, he'd already met Jesus. So we've jumped a bit. 
So Jesus was in Nazareth and he goes back to Capernaum, which is on the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Gennesaret. I don't know why Luke calls it the Sea of Gennesaret, but it's the Sea of Galilee. That's what everyone calls it. And we've already had a story about Simon and Jesus. Can anyone think what that story was? The next slide might help you. Might not. So this is Simon's mother-in-law's house in Capernaum, which has a church cantilevered over the top. So where the altar is, through the glass floor, you look down onto Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house. So one, so there's the ruins and there's the church just kind of sitting up above the, the ruins. So after te- Jesus teaches at the synagogue, he goes back to Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house and she is sick. So he heals her and then she gets up and makes them a meal. And that, that story kind of makes Jesus so popular that he can't hang around Capernaum anymore. Lots of people start to bring their sick to be healed. So he's forced out into the countryside. So this is still around Capernaum. This is Peter's hometown. He's heard Jesus speak. He was probably there when his mother-in-law was being healed. This call thing has been brewing for some time. Maybe he and Jesus had had conversations. So when Jesus gets into his boat, this is not a stranger getting into the boat and saying, would you just put out into the water a bit? This is somebody Peter knows. That's why Jesus doesn't end up in the drink. And Peter's willing to listen to him because he knows him and he trusts him. So when Jesus says to him, from now on you will catch people, it's a very interesting phrase, isn't it? It's very different from the other versions of the story, which is... From now on you will be a fisher for people. But Luke says you'll catch people. It's a little bit more predatory. Hasn't kind of always been used in the most positive of ways. But uh, this isn't an out of the blue thing. This isn't for the first time ever Peter being confronted by this kind of notion of being a disciple. This is something that has been brewing for some time. And Peter responds. And it's a radical response. Like he leaves everything. His business, his family, everything that gives him identity. Everything that shapes his life. He leaves it all behind. Which in his day and time is a, is a really radical thing to do. Nowadays we move off somewhere else to do something else. In those days you did not do that. You stayed in your village, you stayed in your family because that's where your identity and life belonged. To go somewhere else was to let go of all that, to cut the ties with that. It's a little bit like my story. In the end, when I said yes to the idea of perhaps being an Anglican priest, I mean, in some ways I could tell that story that it was very dramatic. But it had been brewing for a long time. The point came 
it, it, it was kind of the end of that process and the beginning of a new process. And that's how call often works. So what about you? How about the times that you have been called? Call isn't just for the big dramatic things. It's not just to be up front in a funny dress. We're all called to do different things. So what about the times that you have felt called? What were those stories like? How, how did the, some of the stories of the prophets kind of resonate with you? How does the story of the call of Peter resonate with you? You might like to turn around and talk to your neighbour and share some of those stories for a moment or two. Well, that was a surprisingly good buzz of conversation. <laughs> to say at eight o'clock sometimes, I'm a little fearful about how you'll respond, but uh, that was good. So I let that go on a bit further. I just want to finish with um, a couple of final comments. I love this icon of Peter. He just looks so grumpy. So serious. I don't know why anyone would write such an icon, really. It's terrifying. Anyway, um, so that's the only reason I have it there, because it's a little terrifying. Uh, uh, During the week, we went to um, uh, a service uh, of installation for a new vicar, and the preacher was talking about how we work for God which, um, you know, like this person is now going to be uh, working for God and the people are called to work for God, which is often how we do in God's work. That's how we often describe the call and how we describe ministry. And I was kind of surprised by my own reaction to that, which was, oh, I guess that a helpful way of talking about it. So I wonder whether, like that just feels heavy. We have work to do. It's a responsibility. We have to use our gifts. We have to use our talents. We have to use our knowledge. It's up to us. And I remember a few years ago the Casio people here saying that you know Jesus has gone to heaven and we are now Jesus. Uh, how Jesus does ministry in the world, which in some ways is true, but in other ways is not. And I, uh, the whole. So one of the things I've been talking about over the last six years at least, is the maybe seven years, is the missional church, which describes this in terms of not the work we do for God, but joining in the work of God. So the assumption there is that God is already at work in the world, and we are invited to join that work, which is a lot less heavy. Like the work continues, whether we're involved or not, which is not an out but we are invited to join that work. And we can see that in the story of Peter. So Peter was a fisherman, and he'd fished all night. And he'd been trained to be a fisherman by his father and his grandfather, by his uncles. Uh, He knew a lot about fishing. He knew when to fish, he knew where to fish, he knew how to control his boats and the weather. He was an experienced fisherman. And Jesus was a landlubber. He knew nothing about fishing. He'd grown up in Nazareth, which is up in the hills. He knew about carpentry and probably a little bit about farming. But fishing was not in his area of expertise. So when he said to Peter, now you can go out and put your boat back out in the deep and fish, Peter had every right to say to him, sod off. I'm tired. I'm going home. You want to fish? Just let me off on the shore, you can do it. But he didn't. 
So all his expertise, all his knowledge, he had to put in, into the basket, so to speak. And then he is told, after they get this amazing catch of fish, that he will now be a catcher of people, which effectively meant everything that you know about fishing, well, just let it go. We're starting again. And you will join me in my work. And that's what the call is, letting go often of everything that we think and letting go of, oh, I couldn't possibly do that because that's not my area of expertise. Like I remember when the bishop, uh, my installation said, be, be nice to John, he knows nothing about vicaring and some of my priest friends were outraged and I went, no, it's true, I don't. I know about youth ministry, I don't know about being a vicar, I've never done this. And even when I trained to be a curate, I didn't, that was in a different world, it was a different church, and it was in a large professional church. I don't know what it means to be here. And that often is what the call is, not thinking that you bring all this to the ministry, but actually you are simply joining in the work of God that is already happening. And learning a lot in the process, as Peter learned and as I, as I have learned and in the process actually realising that actually you do bring a lot to that but you have to reinterpret it and rethink it so Peter did know about fishing fish but he discovered actually that once he was involved in that ministry he could apply a lot to that but he had to learn how to apply that he had to start again so the call isn't about the gifts so much and the, our strengths and our knowledge that we bring it's about us being willing to join that work and see what happens so when we hear the call we have every right to say here I am Lord send the other guy because to say yes sometimes can be a bit of a journey so let's stand and affirm our faith in the God who does call us, who does invite us in the ongoing work of God in the world.